You know, I've talked to thousands of business owners and most of them want to scale, but it gets complicated because the bigger you get and the more layers of things you've got going on, the more you have to manage. You've got hiring, firing, sales, marketing, product, operations. Where do you even start? From the Ramsey Network, this is the Entree Leadership Podcast, where we help business leaders grow themselves, their teams, and their profits. I'm your host, Daniel Tardy, and my guest today is Lucas Botkin. Today, eight years in, he's the CEO of a thriving company, T-Rex Arms. They manufacture holsters. And he made the decision early on that he wanted to scale. He knew it was going to be challenging. He knew it was going to be hard. But he made the conscious decision to say, I believe in this so much that I'm willing to face all of those challenges. And just in the last year, his team's gone from 30 employees to over 70. 72. Wow. As of today, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, or 71. One of the two. I'm not actually sure. <laughs> and you're now, you're 28 now. Uh, 27. 27. Yep. Does that ever feel daunting, a 27-year-old leading 72 people? Uh, all the time, every day, every day. Uh, what's actually daunting on top of that is knowing that our business also employs other people outside of the business, other companies that we support who've also gone and hired 20 people, 30-plus people. So it's not just our 72 and their families, which is actually more like 250 that we're like taking care of. It's all the other people outside of the business who are relying on us retailing their products, us having them manufacture our products. So I think of that on top of our current amount of people, which some people might argue that's not my responsibility. That's on them. Those business owners worrying about their people. But I end up stressing about it as well. Mm -hmm. So it's more than 70. It's a bit. Yeah, it seems like a, a huge responsibility. It is. Did you see that when you started? Did you realize it would get to this point? No, not initially. I... When it was two or three people, I was I was starting to feel a little bit, but they were all single. I knew that if you know the company fell apart, they could go find jobs. It became more, I guess, more uh, stressful for me, or I just it was more significant to me when I started hiring dads who mm -hmm. had children, had people they were responsible for versus single guys who you know could go work at McDonald's or something. Um, but when I started hiring dads, then it was this is next level. There's a lot of responsibility. I need to be very careful from a PR standpoint, from a business owner standpoint. You know, I could do something that could result in the company falling apart. And that means them not having jobs, having to look for new ones or lesser jobs or not as good jobs. And then their kids. And so it snowballs from there. Yeah. So as soon as dads started getting hired, that's when it was a big deal. So when you were feeling that stress or, or maybe the weight mm -hmm. of that responsibility, how did you shift your leadership or how, how did you navigate that in order to kind of hit it head on? I went and sought a lot of counsel from people. Um, and it wasn't just like my dad and, and other people, it was other business owners. And I was just trying to study how other businesses did certain things. Uh, a lot of praying that definitely helps as well. Hmm. Um, it, but it was just a lot of sitting down and thinking about the, you know, the current situation and then realizing I have things I need to get better at to help prevent, uh, catastrophes from happening or mistakes that I might make. So basically I ramped up my own personal competence as a CEO, uh, as a leader, so that the chances of mistakes happening are lessened. I still make mistakes. Uh, granted, lesser than, you know, if I wasn't working on those things, I'd probably make more mistakes. Uh, but just so that when a mistake happens, it's not, um, you know, it's not a, a catastrophe in the company that results in having to downsize departments, lay people off, which is my biggest fear, uh, having to lay people off and uh, them having to look for new jobs. So it's just uh, 
more pressing on me to work hard, uh, gain competence, and um, get counsel so that I can be more effective as a leader, uh, as a CEO, product designer, instructor, uh, visionary, all those different things that I do with my job. Uh, just became more pressing and I had to be better at it, which meant studying and thinking about it. So yeah, it was, it's been good. You know, I remember the first time I started leading people, I was in my mid twenties mm-hmm. and I remember hiring people that were older than me, Yep. sometimes even as old as my parents. And, and I remember kind of that awkward, like, are yes. they going to take me seriously? Yes. You know, can I really lead people who have way mm-hmm. more life experience? And I, I found through hard knocks that it was better just to kind of talk about it with them yep. and, and address that. I'm curious, like, do you have those conversations with people about, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that they may be 20 years older than you, but you're still the leader? Yeah. So uh, what's the interesting part in my situation is, uh, so I started the company at age 20. It was just me in a garage with $1,000 debt-free iPod touch, a $400 WordPress website, e-commerce site, and then about $150, $200 in tools. And uh, after six months, my older brother uh, got involved, eight months. And he's older by me than by 10 years. And I have a good relationship with my brothers. He came on, but he started working for me. So there was already that right off the bat. My older brother's working for me, mm. and we're and then later it transitioned into working together. He became a partner in the company, so there were some equal stakes. Um, but again, I'm the CEO, the younger brother, and then my other older brother got involved, who's uh, 12 years older than I am. So there's that component. But then on top of that, we do have men in the company, uh, quite a few now, who are older. Um, the operations man who runs the company uh, is a former Marine Colonel. So not only am I technically his boss, he's also a former Marine Colonel. <laughs> Uh, plus he's, that's not intimidating at all. Not at all. Plus, I think he's he's in his he's got to be in his fifties, I would think, maybe early sixties. So there's also that component. Um, but he and I actually have very good conversations on that. You know, how can I do certain things to be respectful of you all in your position uh, and your age in relation to my age? Um, and he's actually been uh, one of my mentors as far as coming to me and going, "Hey, this is a leadership deficiency you have," and he's very respectful about mm. it. Can I speak to you about this? You're my boss. This is something I want to bring up because this is something you can work on. And I'm like, absolutely talk to me like I'm anyone else. Like forget that I'm your boss. And then we talk. And uh, so he explains to me, hey, there's this leadership thing. You're not letting people talk on this. You're not letting, you know, whatever. You should work on this. And he's come to me about half a dozen times with different things. Um, So there's not this feeling of, oh, well, we can't go and talk to the CEO about this stuff or he's not going to respect me because I'm older than him, uh, sort of a vibe that's kind of been killed off because I never wanted that there in the first place. But it is awkward when I'm sitting there and I've got to tell, you know, the procurement guy who's in his 40s or, you know, our Marine colonel, this is how we're actually going to do it instead of this way over here. Um, But they're very respectful. I've never had anyone tell me, well, you're just a young whippersnapper. Um, And so that's been good. But uh, it's definitely tricky. When you're in a position as a younger person to, but the Bible talks about that. Let no one look down on your youthfulness. And uh, I grew up hearing that and being taught that by my dad. So that helped as well. So, but it's an, it's interesting. It's a, it's all a learning uh, experience. I'm still learning. Well, it seems like it's really key that your, your response to him when he said, can I give you some feedback was very yeah. inviting of mm-hmm. that. And I, I think leaders, whether you're young or old, really mm-hmm. need to, take note of that. And that is that when we can get feedback from our team, the way that we respond 
to getting that feedback yeah. says a lot about how safe they feel mm-hmm. or how comfortable they feel in letting us know. And, and like, we need that. We yeah. got stuff in our blind oh, yeah. spots. And I, I think leaders that grow over time are the ones that are constantly mining for that feedback. Yeah. Uh, it, we have to create that environment, though. Yeah. Where people oh, feel like they can bring it to we're, us. We're willing to listen. And one thing, a big change that I made, because uh, prior to last year, we were in a very small facility. We didn't have conference room. We didn't have office space. Off The meetings happened like outside of the building because we didn't have space. Mm. But last year, we moved into a new facility where the end of 2019 where we had a conference room. We had space to have meetings. And I started coming into – because I used to work from home because we didn't have offices there on site. So I wasn't around the people very much. But starting last year, I started going in every day, being accessible, stopping by the majority of the departments, checking in with them. Usually going to them versus having them come to me, which I know is a thing that business some business owners do. They have an office. They sit there. They call people in. Um, I prefer the approach of going to the department and walking all around, which means I get you know a good amount of steps in uh, in the day, and that's good. And as the facility gets bigger, that'll also get uh, – We'll get more steps. Get more steps. Uh, But I go to the departments, check in with them. Hey, customer service, what's going on? You need anything? Got any questions? This okay? And then move on to the next one. So I started doing that last year, and that was very helpful. Being accessible, Uh, and then you know along the way, walking department to department, you know, a guy from production would stop me, and uh, I had some good talks with a few of them. Like, hey, man, I've got this thing. I've known you since you know church, and now you're running this big company. But I have this thing you might want to think about this perception of you know such and such. And then, you know, we talk about it and some guys have said, Hey, I want to talk to you off hours because it's a personal. And I'm like, I understand you can talk to me right now though. It's okay. Like it's fine. And so then we talk about it then and it's cool, but they've also been respectful of that. Um, so trying to be so like those available. like they're they're telling you like hey there's something that a deficiency I'd like for you to consider in yep. your leadership or how you're approaching yep. things or maybe something they don't understand that then I'm like well the reason I'm not around mm. all the time is I'm over here doing this stuff over here that's why I'm not in the shop as much as I was three years ago you know three four years ago I used to be in there working with everyone and now I'm having to sit in a conference room or be marketing and producing videos or traveling mm-hmm. or I'm here today instead of at the shop. Yeah. And so sometimes it's just explaining, you know, hey, here's what's going on. Y'all, you know, aren't able to see behind the curtain at all times. Here's what's up. And they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Um, but it's been a while since I've had one of those talks. Well, it sounds like you do a good but, job of helping. It's really helping them see the vision. Like yes. the overall, this is what's yes. going on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's key. A lot of times people feel frustrated. And the reality is they're just confused because they can't see the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. But as leaders, if we can help them see the bigger picture, yep. that frustration goes away because they go, mm-hmm. oh, I get it. I understand how the puzzle pieces all kind of go together. Yep. And that's something that um, there were some discussions. We had some new folks coming in last year because uh, we went from, oh man, at the beginning of 2020, it was like 30 something employees. Now we're at 72. So we more than doubled. Um, <laughs> so and well, we, we, so ha- more than half your team has been there less than a year. That is correct. Wow. So there's some serious vision casting going on right now because some of them show up and they're, you know, some guys that knew who we were before who were working in customer service, they get it. We have some people who don't know who we are at all who are, you know, local and they, they're not into guns, they're not into what we do. So then we got to kind of tell them like, hmm. here's what we're doing. Um, so last year I had to kind of uh, knuckle down on some of the vision casting. Here's what we're, where we're going. Here's what we're doing. 
yes, the business is exploding. Our sales are up 3.5 times. It's pretty crazy, but here's what we're trying to do. Here's what we're doing by equipping people. Here's what the media mm-hmm. department does. Here's why the media department seem like cowboys and they're kind of running around doing their own thing and they're not real involved with, you know, production. Um, so last year was a lot of kind of explaining what's going on and why it's going on the way it is, which is the job of the CEO is casting the vision, you know, steering the rudder of the ship, um, uh, seeing what the industry's doing, figuring out where the company needs to go. Um, but oftentimes, and I've had the issue in, in the past and, I'm still working on it, is in the process of figuring out where the ship needs to go, not telling people when there's a change with the rudder. And so Mm. trying to tell them, oh, yeah, we're actually deviating this particular product over here because of this thing that happened. Or there's the reason for this price increase on this product we're producing is because of this thing over here or this over here. And uh, so trying to get better at letting people know as soon as that decision is made versus months later thinking I did, but I didn't, but really letting them know, yeah, we had to change direction because the industry said this. Or the community did this, or our marketing strategy, trend setting in this area did not work out. Mm. Um, and I think I'm still working on that, but uh, I think that's something. Dude, a, it's so a lot hard. People, Every leader, I've dealt with that so much in my leadership, and just not assuming people can't read my mind. You know, and I, I yeah. think we forget. It's not like we're trying to leave people out, but yeah. we just. We just see so many things and we forget they don't see it or we, we know the why or we've been thinking about it for three months. Yep. And by the time we make the decision, that's the first day that it impacts everybody else. Mm-hmm. And we're on to the next decision. We're thinking about the next problem coming. Yep. And I think it's just a it's a really key discipline that we've got to develop mm-hmm. that habit yep. of over communicate, over communicate, assume they don't know. And mm-hmm. it's it's hard. I mean, it it's is. one of those things you got to get outside of your own head and, mm-hmm. and think differently. Yeah. And one thing and actually a pretty good example is so I do a lot of uh, educational content with shooting and teaching shooting. And I also do contracts for the military on special operations for classes and stuff. Uh, it's easy for me to teach the basics. And then I want to go on to doing more advanced stuff. And I forget, I haven't talked about basics in six months, eight months, or a year on our YouTube, on our Instagram, on our Mm. Facebook. And so every once in a while, people come to me and are like, hey, uh, this thing you just did a video on, I didn't understand any of it. And you haven't done a basics thing in a while. So you really need to come back and do a how to draw a pistol and why this thing exists. And I go, oh, you're right. I need to actually rewind and keep basically talking about the same thing over and over. Um, so that's been a learning experience too. And the same thing has to be done with the vision, which is like, we produce this product for this reason. And then I go to work on a new product and, oh yeah, oh, I got to come back. This product we've been making for years. We're still making it for this mission, these, this customer base. This is why we're doing it. Okay. Now go back to design new weird mm. products that are the next level stuff. Um, how do you communicate that? Do you guys have a staff meeting? Do you have we internal have, broadcasts? What, how do you keep everybody? We have a, um, we have Managers or departments have meetings every week. Um, I organized a meeting a couple of years ago. I wanted a meeting with all the managers once a week so that I could figure out what was going on. Uh, so we did that on Wednesday. Wednesdays is just packed with meetings and broadcasting. But Wednesdays, I meet with all them, find out what's going on. And then uh, I also do meetings with individual managers to let them know what's going on. But when there's a significant change, like with our redundancy plan for if we get nuked off of YouTube, Instagram, Facebook – that's an individual meeting I call. Which it's, apparently it's, it, can happen that these is days. Correct. You can get completely wiped off the face of the earth, basically, by uh, big tech. That's, uh, that's a meeting that I'll organize, you know, an outlook. I'll send out invites, make a PowerPoint, put all my stuff in it. And actually, something I've been doing for this year 
and I uh, haven't issued it out to everyone to be able to look at quite yet because I'm still working on it. It's basically a PowerPoint of my brain where I document <laughs> all of the projects I want to do. That's a fantastic – a PowerPoint of yeah, your brain. Yeah. And, and you can view it at any time. Can you guys in the booth make a note? I need a PowerPoint of my brain. Yeah. So well, I want to work on this. It's all the stuff – I'm working on it now for like a month. All the stuff I'm thinking of, uh, like products, website changes, new products, people we want to work with, people we don't work with, uh, people that whatever, just everything going on for the year. Uh, things that we learned from last year, um, streaming numbers, like, hey, this platform over here is really cool. So basically anyone, any of the managers uh, can get in there, show their people like, oh, yeah, he's thinking about making this significant website change. Mm. Oh, he's thinking about this training thing he wants to do or this video thing he wants to do. So – and that's something that I didn't do last year. It was more or less just having meetings, telling people what was going on. Uh, but now I'm actually just building out a PowerPoint and whenever we have a meeting and I ask for feedback from people – like what did we do well last year? What did we do poorly last year? That goes straight into the PowerPoint. Everything goes into the PowerPoint. It's the PowerPoint in my brain essentially. Um, and then that gets shared through like SharePoint or however all the systems worked in Microsoft. And I'm still learning all that. Mm. It's complicated. So yeah. Was it hard for you to go for – you know, you started this thing as – you mentioned a few hundred bucks and a, mm-hmm. cu- a couple tools. I mean just really bootstrapped it, which yep. is super inspiring. Yep. Was it hard for you to go from the maker – to the CEO, yes. the, the, the shift mm-hmm. from like, yep. you're the guy touching it, building it, shipping. I mean, the, you really started like as an artist. <sighs> yes. And now you're full-time leader. It's, it's been tough. So the biggest issue I had, so the, the biggest thing that I'm learning, maybe not the biggest, one of the biggest is delegation, which is an art. You can do it well, you can do it poorly. I grew up doing it poorly. I'd be given a job. I would quickly give it to my younger brother. Uh, not good delegation. I should have done the job myself and not immediately pawned it off on him. So there's good delegation. There's bad delegation. Um, early on in the company, I was the craftsman. I designed the product. I had standards for the product. When new people came in, I did not want to give them the product to make because they weren't making it the same standard I was. I had a very hard time taking the time to train them. Mm. Months of training for some products, some things. It's very common with founders. It is. So I had a very hard time. My older brother had some good talks with me on that. He was like, you really have to let go of this, trust people, train them, then we train them, then we'll figure it out. Um, early on, it was very difficult stepping aside, but eventually I did. And then I focused on marketing, which was great, uh, running around shooting guns, which you would think is all good and fun, running around shooting guns, doing videos, YouTube, Instagram, all that stuff. Well, it gets old after a while, but I worked on that. They worked on the holster process, manufacturing, uh, creating systems that were more effective. I would come in to make sure everything was still happening to my standards or what I need as a shooter because I'm the principal shooter in the company. So if it doesn't work for me, it's not going to work for customers. We're not going to sell it. (laughs) So coming in every once in a while, checking over things, going back to my thing. But this year, uh, 2020 in particular, I had to go from being sort of a marketing kind of a wizard, which is what I was doing in 2018, 2019, building our YouTube. We're now at 950,000 subs, most of which is You're from about to hit a million. Years. We're about to hit a million. Maybe but, if everyone on this podcast goes and subscribes, maybe we can get you over possible. a million mark. And then YouTube will not send me the gold button because I never got the silver one. But that's okay. <laughs> I don't care. It's fine. It's fine. You know, it's not a big deal. It's just a little fake thing anyway. Um, so we uh, – Well, but uh, here's, the, here's the key. I want, I want people to not miss this. And Gary Vaynerchuk mm-hmm. talks about it. If you're going to be a great company in 2020, you have to have a media mindset. It's true. And there's a lot of people go, oh, we're not really a media-type company. Well, yeah. manufacturing gun stuff is not a media company, but you chose to make it one. That is correct. I, I say more about the decision to, to build your own megaphone, to build your own platform. So when I started the company, I was making holsters, but my goal – was not to just make product. 
my goal was to build a platform where I can help people with education. Because my dad, that's what he did. That's what he always taught us. Education is more important than stuff. Um, and I was taught, I was homeschooled. I have, oh, well, fun fact. I have no college degree. I don't have a GED. I have no paperwork. I have nothing, pretty much. No official education, except that I was homeschooled. Um, and the biggest thing my parents taught me is to love learning and how to teach myself things. And I had to teach myself uh, Premiere for editing, Instagram marketing, marketing mindset in general, all sorts of different things. But when I started, I knew the most of the thing that I want to do for people is spread education. Now, that means I got to learn some stuff to educate them on because, mm. I mean, you can't educate people and stuff you don't know. So I had to study. I had to learn. So it was a lot of investing in my own education, purchasing things, spending time doing things, thousands of hours on the range, you know, hundreds of hours building stuff, testing things so that I would have something I could give back to people. Now, when that time arrives to give back, where's the platform? So I realized I need to start building the platform before I have necessarily a lot of messages I can, mm. you know, give people. Uh, so I focused on Instagram. That was where the gun community was, focused there, built an account, took cool pictures, tried to sprinkle in education or my experiences as I was learning them, which for some reason people thought was cool. So they followed me. Uh, the account got big. And then later I transitioned into YouTube. Uh, but along the way, you know, I learned things, personal experience that I was able to share with people. So they keep following. Oh, this guy knows things. Oh, now he knows more things. Oh, now he's making some cool things. So it slowly got mm -hmm. bigger. Uh, YouTube kind of blew up. By the time I went to YouTube, our Instagram was already 100 plus thousand followers. So people knew who we were. You know, we were already being talked about many times negatively. Uh, but then people went to YouTube to watch our more hmm. fancy videos or longer videos because we couldn't do it. I, I was on Instagram back when you were allowed 15 seconds. And then finally, you were allowed 60 seconds. And then you were allowed uh, Instagram TVs, which can go up to 10 minutes now. Hmm. So we moved to YouTube uh, before then. But, you know, even if I mean, now that the limits are higher. I, I'm curious what you think. I, I think it's great to start with Instagram because every mm -hmm. little post is a test. It is. And it's very low risk to just put it something is. out there low and you can effort. see engagement. You go, oh, that, that didn't get any engagement or, oh, that one really hit. And like you can really yeah. learn a lot you can. And, and a lot of frequency of, of publishing things yep. without a lot of lift to get that stuff out there. It's true. And I think that's where I, – I think I was very blessed and fortunate with some of my decisions early on, which I think were good decisions but not necessarily because I had a lot of – experience to make the good decision. It was uh, just the providence of God that I made that decision. I think Instagram was one because I was able to low effort with my iPod touch, take pictures, put them up. Then I got an iPhone, took pictures, put them up. Then I borrowed the family camera, took pictures, put them up. So I was able to build a platform for cheap. I was not having to spend a ton of money doing YouTube videos. And the thing about YouTube when we switched over there is I had uh, pretty high standards for our quality, uh, which I had a guy ask the other day, why do you have so many uh, subscribers on YouTube? Well, it's a combination of appeal and substance. So the content needs to look cool. It needs to be cool because that's what gets people in the yeah. first place. And then the substance inside of it has to actually benefit them. You know, we're not just there for entertainment. We're not just there to blow a car up and then like have a little scene of me walking away from an explosion looking cool. Mm. Like that's not quality content. That's not giving back to people. They won't remember you for it. They won't come back. You're not a leader in your space if that's all you're doing, in my opinion. So there has to be substance attached, but there has to be appeal attached as well. It's a so very, how do you differ? Like if it's not just blowing up a car, what is it that makes it that substance? Is it that it's teaching specific things for them? So I'll use the car blowing up as an example. So let's say I want to do a video and I want to blow a car up. Well, I would probably 
throw in some educational content regarding the weapons that I'm using. Hey, I'm using this weapon. Why I picked this weapon is this, this, this. Here's what it has. I'm going to be blowing up this kind of car. Here's some considerations. I need to probably be about this far away to prevent shrapnel from killing me. I need to use <laughs> explosives. Uh, this is what they do. This is how the military uses them. Now let's do it. Uh-huh. So there's some educational content in there. We letterbox the video so it looks like it's from Hollywood. We color grade it really blue so it looks all cinematic or green. You know, that's my look. And then uh, we film at 24 frames a second, which looks like Hollywood, looks really nice. We don't film at 60 or anything, you know, like that. And then people, we put some music in there, not too corny, but, you know, high tech and nice, depending on the demographic we're trying to hit. And then we have a video with appeal and substance. And that's the fine line, the balance that a lot of gun companies or companies in general have a hard time hitting. Mm. They focus on entertainment or they just focus on a boring, dry 30 minute, here's a gun, here's how I take it apart, which to some people is great. But those videos don't make millions of views. How did you figure out – I mean you just unpacked like this beautiful recipe that's very dialed in. It's like a formula. It is. I'm, I imagine you didn't start with that clarity that that's what it should be. How did you figure out this is the – I mean were you testing and experimenting testing. along with um, I I had that theory from the beginning because I had been watching other pages and basically – and this is my advice I give new business guys is if you want to start a business, there's one of two things. You either need to do something nobody does. Or do a thing everyone does, but do it better. Mm-hmm. Now, if you can do both, you're awesome. You're yeah. golden. Which we got to both in two years in. Um, at the beginning, I, the holsters weren't amazing. Uh, but our pictures, I focused on photos because other companies didn't do good photos. I focused on marketing on social media because companies don't weren't doing that at the time and they still don't do a real good job. Uh, but the formula itself, I kind of thought, you know what? If my Instagram is only entertainment, it's kind of useless. If it's only education, it doesn't get – Follows because unfortunately the content that gets a lot of views is entertainment. You gotta have some eye candy. It's gotta, gotta have, pull gotta have some coolness. So you gotta mix both. So I basically my formula was have a cool thing, have an educational thing, have a controversial thing, a question that I pose that you know I'm like, hey, this concept is it good? Is it bad? And then pff, the comments roll in. Mm. And I also learn what people, what my demographic think. Um, and I, and also depending on the question I phrase, it can also affect how people like think about the things. They're like, Oh, I never heard it asked that way. And then I go back to cool. And then I do educational and then I do product. Uh, the other thing I noticed the companies do is they like to push their product a lot and that Hmm. becomes spam. People don't like, I don't like it. I'm a consumer just like everyone else. I don't like getting pushed with product all the time. I want to decide on buying a product when I'm good and ready and when I have the information. Yeah. So I focus more on let's give the information to the customer and they choose when to buy. We don't push product every day, every post, whatever. So a lot of it's just sneaking product into pictures, not even talking about it, but it's there. And then we talk about product every six posts, seven posts. So it's no spam. And people appreciate that. I've had people message me and say, hey, man, your company's the only one that really does that. Most companies, they just push their product. Big close-ups of mm-hmm. it. It gets old. It's boring. There's no substance. It's, it's obviously – Spam. No, it's very. It it's a very good approach, and it's very much you know Gary Gary Vaynerchuk again. Yeah. Jab, 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 right hook. Mm-hmm. You know, you, the idea is you're jabbing, you're adding value, adding value, adding value, and then it's here. And then there's a, a nice ask. It's not in your face. Mm-hmm. Yep. But that's, if you've added enough value, then people mm-hmm. rush towards the offer because now you're friends. Now they respect your brand, mm-hmm. and now that now they've got interest. You've been nurturing the relationship along the way. Yep. That's exactly. And the funny thing is, I heard that from him. It was like. Man, I think I first heard that from him about three years ago, and I had already been executing it. So when I heard that from him, I was like, oh, sweet. There's some you know, incredible individual who brought up this concept that I've been doing that's pretty cool. But we've, we've followed that, that uh, sort of formula this entire time. It works very well. Um, 
And it's not necessarily a formula that I don't think it needs to go away because it's a it's basically core principles. You have to have content that gives back to people, but you also have to have content that is appealing. Now that appeal is what changes. You know, trends for what's cool, people hmm. want to watch, that changes, but education does not. Teaching people stuff they need to know, core basics of shooting, that doesn't change, which makes my industry easy in some ways. But the cool aspect, that's what I have to be in tune with. Like, what are people wanting to see right now? What kind of content? What kind of weapons? What kind of gear? Or am I in a position with my platform that I get to basically build what they want to see? Do I get to set trends now? Which has been an interesting change for us the past couple of years is actually uh, having some leverage on what we can actually push trend-wise. Before, we couldn't do that. We weren't big enough, didn't have a platform big enough. Now we've got one point. Uh, 7 million followers over all of our accounts, which is like 1.2 million people. So now we have enough sort of uh, influence that we can actually say, this is a thing people need to think about. And here's why they need to think about it. And here's how we're going to show it. We do that for three, four months, and then it's more or less solidified. People are talking about it. People are interested in it, that kind of product, that kind of concept, whatever mm-hmm. it is. But what goes along with that is responsibility because we can use that influence to – potentially influence the wrong things. And that's another thing I think companies don't think about, or I should say influencers in general. Just because you have 800,000 followers doesn't mean you should just say whatever you want Hmm. or advertise for whichever company you want or sell whatever product you want or take money from whatever company you want because it could be a bad product. You're leading people astray. Mm -hmm. They look up to you. Um, And that's something that I talk about quite a lot because it's something I've, I've, Seen, seen behind the curtain, knowing influencers and knowing what goes on underneath the tables. And there's, well, just like in every industry, there's a lot well, you of corruption. Can't, it's like you can't get lazy, you know? Yeah. And you can't get fat. And, and the things that you had to do to earn your first 100 followers, mm-hmm. I mean, you have to have very honest, genuine connection and be true to what, what value you're building for them. Yep. But you get to 100,000 or a million followers and then you go, oh, there's a, there's a quick buck over here if all of a sudden we just give exposure to this company and and you get fat and lazy on that stuff and then you start to erode the foundation of what you built that's exactly what happens to all of them they don't what the problem is they don't have a long-term vision they have a what can i get right now what can i take and give nothing back right you know and they're not thinking where will i be in five years where will i be in 10 years and i was thinking about that and again got that from my dad uh early on so when i had my first sponsors coming to me going hey we want to exclusively sponsor you with this gun i told everyone no Hmm. Um, I've only ever taken two guns for free. Um, and I disclaim that in the videos when they're used, one of which is gone, one of which I use. Um, and I've bought other ones from that company since, uh, but I take very few items for free and I don't take sponsor money. Um, because it can be very dangerous. It can Why be, is that? Is it, you feel like it gives you more credibility when you? It can. Uh, it can. And, and in my experience doing this, it has because people know he can't be bought. Hmm. So when he recommends a product, he means it. He's not doing it for money. He's not taking you know ten thousand dollars a month from this company to talk about this product, which I would still disclaim at the beginning of the video. It's still biased though. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my approach has just been no sponsorships. If I take something for free for some reason. I talk about it, but I far prefer buying it so I can say whatever I want. There's no allegiance to the company because my allegiance is with the people first. And that plays into long-term goal. If my, my, if my goal is to be in the community for 50 years, well, those are the people I'm loyal to, not companies yeah. that come and go. I mean, Got companies, it. they're cool for five years. They make some cool stuff, then they're gone. Like, you talked about having like a five to 10-year vision. Mm-hmm. So like as you sit here right now and you think five years from now, where are you taking your tribe and, and how does that affect the opportunities that show up this month? How, like in, 
mm-hmm. in real time? Like how, how does that impact what you say yes to, what you say no to? It all, it's, it's tough. A lot of it, um, I mean, the, the core concepts of behind our company is helping people be more prepared, which just so happens that the preparedness that I'm talking about, because there's all kinds, there's financial preparedness, which obviously Dave and your company, they all talk about financial preparedness. Um, ours is firearms and protection. So protecting yourselves from burglars, home intruders, uh, potentially an invading military, although we don't get into that a whole lot, uh, or something worse, which is uh, tyranny, which we've seen in other countries recently. We've seen, I mean, our country used to suffer from some tyranny, and then we didn't because we did something about it uh, over 200 years ago. Um, so it's our basically our, our core concept behind the company is getting people more prepared for uh, situations that are beyond the basic burglary or home intruder that most companies focus on. That's most scenarios they you know, civilians or regular folks uh, expect they will be put, you know, into that kind of situation. But the reality is there's all kinds of situations that can present themselves. You've got active shooters, domestic terror attacks, um, all kinds of stuff that can happen out and about, road rage, um, just all sorts of things. Uh, And then, of course, the worst, in my opinion, being tyranny, Uh, but basically helping people along with their mindset of, you know, what is our obligation to our fellow man? Do we, you know, step in and intercede in situations to protect others? Do I only protect myself and protect my family, which is generally what most people, that's kind of where they lie. Like, I don't want to worry about anyone else. I'm only going to worry about myself. Self-defense is just for me. Which, in my opinion, it's a little bit selfish. I carry a gun for everyone else, not myself. I will protect myself, but that's not why I carry a gun. So it's kind of talking people through that. Uh, which those concepts we will not deviate from. Those are basics. Just like Dave does not deviate from his basics that he's been saying for, you know, decades. We don't deviate from our basics. Kind of like your core values. That's essential to who you are. Core values, they're going to stay the same same for 50 years, 100 years past, you know, when I'm gone and T-Rex keeps going. At least that's my hope. Companies, you know, as long as I lay out the vision properly and get Mm. the right people, that can continue happening. Um, But five years, 10 years, a lot of that is uh, evolving some of those, um, solidifying them, uh, making our messages more understood, uh, also more – I don't want to say mainstream, but more of a platform. Um, if I can put in you know, effort to produce a video that is seen by a million people versus 10 million people, I would prefer the 10 million people. That's more people we're reaching. It's more people we're helping, more people we're influencing. That's more effective. So building the platform, which is one of our goals so that we can help more people – um, it's not even for sales. The funny thing is we have conversations. This is horrible business strategy. Probably most business people would say we have meetings probably about four times a year on how and if, and should we throttle our sales that are coming in, which is amusing since most companies, it's always how to get more sales, how to get more clients, how to sell more of our service. Uh, we've actually had meetings, which is how do we throttle sales huh. if we can't grow gracefully, if we're not supplying our equipment or our services to our customers uh, to the best ability that we desire, would it be more uh, loving to the customers uh, that's going along with our core values to actually suspend sales, handle the ones we currently have that people have put their trust in us to then provide, um, which is a concept that's probably against every business book out there. You never slow sales, never stop the train. But that's something we talk about. We actually talked about it this morning. What is it? How often does that happen where you actually stop sales? We, we haven't. Not okay. yet. Um, 
So now you're just saying it's a discussion. You're watching discussion. that to make How sure would it that work? you're not growing so fast that you end up exactly. not. You compromise on quality or mm-hmm. something. That- and that's what happens with a lot of companies. They got sales coming in or a big military contract, quickly hire 100 people, buy a bunch of machines, overextend, maybe get a bunch of loans, maybe an investor. Um, then the military contract goes south. Now they're out all the money. Um, they overextend. Or even if they're debt-free, they overextend You know, hiring people. They got to lay people off. You know, Then yeah. a recession happens or something. So we have these discussions. We haven't had to do it. We don't necessarily want to do it. Uh, it's not. Necess- I don't think it's a good idea as far as uh, getting people to come back because I've seen it happen before. But if the decision's made, it's the best thing we can do for the customers that have already entrusted th- us with their money. We will do it. We will cut sales. We will handle them to the best of our ability with the promises we've given them of you know our really good customer service, our essentially same day shipping, also the high quality of our products. We'll suspend sales somehow. Now the mechanisms that go into that. That's part of the discussion. What can we actually do? Should we do it? Um, but that's a concept that I don't hear people talk about very often. It's probably very counter business strategy. But our strategy is helping people because people yeah. is business. It's not money or orders. Um, so that results in a lot of unique conversations. Well, I think we the, the thinking that goes behind that is really key. And, and that is that business is really multifaceted. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you've got yep. sales. You've got taking care of your customers. Then you've got your product and mm-hmm. delivering that product. And yeah. You've got improving your products, uh, launching new products. Then you've got operations and finance. And you just have all these layers to a business. And mm-hmm. what you're describing that oftentimes happens is a business gets so focused on just one of those dynamics. Yeah. And typically it's revenue and sales. And, and there's kind of this misnomer that if you just make a bunch bunch of money that all the others are just going to naturally take care of themselves. Yeah. But you can get you can grow so aggressively or you mm-hmm. can make so many sales that you've you've log jammed the operations yep. to be able to produce on what you promised the customer when you took their money. Yeah. And then you're screwed from a PR standpoint. You've broken trust. Which we've done. Uh, this, is, this has been a learning process. I have hyped products with marketing that then took eight months to come out, six months longer than we thought because things happen, things come up. Um, or I talk about a product we don't actually have stocked and then inventory's like, hey, we didn't actually have that thing that we just <laughs> took photos of and people want. I've never done that. And uh, Let's we'll so, sell it and then we'll build it and then it'll all be fine. <laughs> yeah. So there's been some learning along the way. Classic entrepreneur thing, you know, because uh, you know. we just get excited and we see it in our mind and, and we know we're going to build the thing and deliver on it. But I, I think you got to have some kind of a dashboard that watches all that. I mean, meetings and metrics. And so as you're having those discussions to figure out, Mm -hmm. does operations and supply meet demand is is essentially the the kind of most foundational thing you're saying here. How are you guys monitoring that? What metrics are you looking at? What filters are you using to make those decisions? So a lot of it. So, and we do this on our, on our Wednesday meeting, but then I'll do it outside of that. So I'll run over to procurement and say, Hey, uh, this vendor, cause we retail. Well, and what makes the company interesting is we manufacture products in house. We have some companies manufacture for us our own label, our own logo, you know, products that we design. But then we also sell for other companies that produce their product. So we have interesting quality control considerations. We can quality control the stuff we make in house. We quality control the stuff that comes in. That's ours that we get made somewhere else. Some products we order from companies, we have to quality control, or we just hope that their quality control is good and that they're good to go. And then our customer service handles issues with them and forwards them on. Uh, so I'm having to grab data from for our retail stuff. What's in stock? Can we get stock? And uh, 2020 obviously kind of screwed with everything, with inventory and yeah. demand through the roof uh, of our products, of other companies' products that we relied on. Um, it was actually kind of funny because we actually started uh, getting more – 
I guess, uh, serious on our vendor uh, dealer requirements. Because vendors, when you go to them, they have their own requirements. You got to do this, this much money, buy-in, blah, 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 and here's what you have to do. Well, now we have our own, which is like, you have to be able to get us this amount of product or we're not even carrying your product. Uh, we need this kind of packaging or we're not even going to carry your product. Um, so we actually are having to institute some policies so that we can effectively sell this product. And Dude, have that's this such product. a big thing. And I, I want you to say more about this because business owners forget your vendors work for you. That is correct. They and, do. And you got to set the terms. I mean, you don't mm-hmm. want to abuse your vendors, Yep. but they're kind of like employees because if oh, they, they don't deliver on what they said, you can't take care of your customers. Yeah. But there's a mindset there. I mean, you, you got to have mm-hmm. standards you hold your vendors accountable to. And we're, and that's an ongoing discussion. We, uh, we went and toured, uh, Sweetwater. Um, I think that's their Sweetwater music, Sweetwater, uh, Sweetwater audio. I'm sure most of this equipment's from them. Big facility, awesome people. Um, and they walked us through their requirements for vendors. And it's very much the same thing. And that's, we got advice from them. That was something we were getting to because we had vendors that were taking advantage of us. Cause here's what happens. We get product from a vendor we like. I send it through our marketing engine, which is pretty big. You know, people like the product. People then go straight to the vendor to buy the product from them. Vendor decides they don't need to ship us product because they're taking a 40% cut, sending it to us because then we have to have our markup. So they just keep restocking their own website while we're marketing their product for them Hmm. before they send product to us 11 months later, six months later, five months later, whatever it is. So a lot of this is learning as we go. We've had vendors take advantage of us because they know we're marketing to them for free. Um, Some vendors actually will have uh, requirements in their policies, which is every month we don't have inventory, you pay us a marketing fee because we're still marketing your product using our engine, which is probably something we're going to start instituting soon. Uh, Because our marketing engine industry, you know, people know that like when we talk about a product, people buy the product. We would prefer they buy it from our website as long as we have inventory. So what did you do like when they when that happened and no. you're marketing their stuff <laughs> and they're stocking on their side and they're not shipping you this stuff and the market yeah, and everything? It's, like, it's a unique experience. I'll just, uh, just I mean, what's that conversation like? You're fired? We're done? Or, I mean, I, I, you know, so the, one of my biggest problems is I'm too nice. So no conversation happened. That's what happens. Uh, but now things are different. But uh, a lot of it is the conversation just didn't happen. Uh, cause I was like, I still want to sell their stuff. I like their stuff. Uh, we hope to get their stuff soon. Please send us the stuff that we've put POs out for, for a year. We're going to keep marketing your stuff cause we like your stuff. Um, but being nice, it doesn't always work. Um, unfortunately it, it would be easier if it did. It doesn't. Uh, so one of our problems is we're, we've been very nice to vendors in the past at the expense of our own people yeah. and at the expense of our yeah. own customers who have faith that, you know, if we put up a product listing for a product, we are essentially making a promise to our customers, we will sell this thing. Now, we don't tell them when, how often, how many, but they expect the thing will be there at some point. Well, I think it's a normal thing, as, I mean, especially if you like people yeah, uh, to want to be nice. But the misnomer is that the opposite of nice means you have to be nasty and mean and crude. Right. And I, I think the learning for all of us, you know, you got to be firm. You got to, right. you can still be professional. Exactly. You have to have standards and hold them accountable. Yep. And so we're getting better at that. It's a learning process. Yeah. Like I said, we're still developing our standards for vendors, what we can actually ask, what is reasonable, you know, for vendors to do for us. Uh, it's different with every vendor. Um, now that we're putting in POs for the year, so they have an expectation of how much revenue we're giving them for the year, which last year we weren't able to do because I mean, it was 2020. We learned a lot. Now we're able to actually do go to a vendor and say, hey, here is, uh, you know, over 5 million in sales we're going to give you this year, most likely, uh, just so you know where we're at. And then they're like, oh, we like you now. That's 
money. We'll work with you. Well, I think what you're saying is really key that the more you can set up the relationship on the front end and define this is how this is going to work. Because most of the time that you get screwed is you're surprised by there was an anomaly event and there wasn't really something accounted for in the vendor agreement. Mm -hmm. And they make assumptions to their favor and you make assumptions to your favor. And uh, the more you can kind of get all that on the table and say, this is how we're going to operate. And you really got to do the thinking work to think through all these situations before they come up. Yeah. But and if you do that, you have more power at that point. Yeah, and it's been it's been rough too because we have not had a year that's stabilized. Uh, um, every year is doubled, which is great. It's awesome, uh, but we haven't had met like consistent metrics to be like, ah, here's what we can forecast and plan for because every year is just going up. Um, so we've been looking at this year versus last year and going, well, it was an election, there was civil unrest, there was a pandemic. That's a lot of factors that results in sales. So if we remove two of those from the equation or one. Maybe it'll be like this. Okay, now we can forecast about this much. So we have more data now. It's actually getting easier. Some things get easier when you're a bigger company. Some things get harder, more bureaucracy, more red tape, more leadership stuff. Um, but some things are a little easier and the conversations we can have we can have with companies because they see, oh, they have a marketing engine. They're here to stay. They have credibility. Oh, they have this much money. They can promise us. They're up here with, you know, it's it's like a military contract. They're actually giving us, you know, seven figures worth really of POs. They're a little more stable. We can actually trust them with product. And that's been really good with some vendors that we worked with last year who saw that and uh, stopped taking vendors from other companies just because we started eating up how much they can make. And they were fine with that. They just send it to us and we sell it. Um, So some things have been easier being a larger company. But with that, some things get a little harder. Documenting processes, rolling out policies, creating onboarding and training plans. That's all your favorite stuff to do, right? Yeah, probably not. But they're essential if you want to grow your business and team. Thankfully, our partner Trainual makes all of those things easier than ever. Trainual is the top software for building your business playbook, meaning everything anybody needs to know about your company and their role in it all in one place. This is no ordinary employee handbook. Trainual is the ultimate operations and training platform where all your systems and processes live. Trainual has tests and accountability reports, org charts, a directory, AI-assisted documentation, and a search experience that makes it like Google for your business. With hundreds of templates and world-class support, it couldn't be easier to get started. Visit trainual.com slash entree today for a demo and get 15% off your first year. That's T-R-A-I-N-U-A-L dot com slash entree for 15% off. Hey, by this time of year, you've set goals for your business, communicated them to your team, and are making them happen together. But while you're busy getting after it, don't forget the primary goal of every single one of your employees to get paid on time and in the right amount. Payroll It isn't the most fun part of your business, but it's probably the most necessary. So skip the payroll stress and check out Payority. They're a comprehensive payroll company that does it all for you. Just send Payority some basic info and they handle everything else. Direct deposits, deductions, reimbursements, tax filings, forms, all the things. If your business has 1 to 100 employees, Payority is perfect for you. And if you need support... You talk to an actual human who cares about helping you, saving you time, increasing your profitability, and giving you some very necessary peace of mind. Plus, Payority makes switching payroll providers easy. Go to payority.com slash entree leadership today for a free consultation. 
That's payority.com slash entree leadership. It seems like one of the hardest things would have been going, you mentioned going from 30 team members to 70 mm-hmm. in one year. So yep. fantastic. We got 40 yeah. more people, it's 40 awesome. more sets of hands, but training everybody and yeah. holding on to the culture and the values. Oh, that's a big one, yeah. What has that been like? It requires good managers, first off. Um, if you don't have good managers, if you don't have a good onboarding process, you are screwed. Um, which in some departments, some departments of the companies are more, of the company are more solidified than others with management or with onboarding procedure, manufacturing. The job has been figured out. Been what is it, you have different years. onboarding for different departments. Each we do. One has, okay. We do. We have the general paperwork, legal, healthcare, and all that stuff. But once you go to the department, it is a different process for each. So, like, I just hired a new guy in my department. I'm over. So I'm the CEO of the company. I'm also the marketing director, so I run all the marketing operations. I'm also the guy who designs and picks most of the products we sell, which I don't know what you would call that, product designer. Procurement, maybe? Yeah, and I have a procurement guy who does all the dealer agreements and stuff. So I'm doing three jobs right now. You could probably argue four, but that's... You need one more thing to do. Yeah, and I don't have an assistant yet, and that doesn't help either. Dude! So, yeah, I know. Are you serious? I know. I actually talked to Dave about that. We like, got to hey, talk. Yeah. I oh, need, you got to have an I need assistant. One. Yeah, I've been I've been told by people in the company I'm not allowed to do certain things it will until multi- I have one. It will multiply your capacity. I want to clone myself, but I think there might be ramifications for that. An so. assistant does that. I mean, I it really does. Many. Because think about how many things are you doing that are administrative in nature that if you had a right arm that was just like, hey, I got that. Let me take that off your plate. Yes. It's a huge – It's fantasy land to be honest, but uh, yeah. I'm, I'm actually yeah. surprised you've gotten as big as you have – and haven't made that higher, which is good news because as soon as you do, like, yeah, oh, gonna, I'm, I you're can't wait. Double. I can't wait. Um, that's okay. And, so you're wearing a lot of hats, uh, Benny. Uh, but so and you talked about onboarding in your department. Yeah. So I just got a new guy in my department, and um, the onboarding in my department is very different than others because we're in, I he's our armorer, so I'm having to teach him. Hey, here's all the guns we have. Here's all the equipment. Armorer. We have. Yeah, we have our own like selection of weapons and like he holds the keys to the armory like what's the armory do so he runs uh we have an ffl we're an 0702 we can manufacture machine guns suppressors we can do whatever ffl sorry uh federal firearms license unconstitutional laws guns they don't like us having stuff whatever so we have that all the nice paperwork taxes to the government the atf and um he basically runs the books compliance make sure we're not make sure make sure we're not breaking the law I also have a substantial amount of weapons I have accumulated over the past six years in my own research that I've paid for because personal education. So he has to manage those, Uh, all the lasers, optics, scopes, uh, all of our ammunition, our magazines. So I shoot – in 2019, I shot 100,000 rounds. Uh, for the year. 100,000 um, rounds. Well, I shoot a lot for my job. Oh, and that goes into the CEO job too, is shooting. So I shot, it was 90, 100,000 rounds. Uh, 2020, I had to drop it. It was like 50 or 60. This year, it'll probably be about the same, 50 or 60. So I'm on the range a lot. twice a week. And I'm shooting yeah. a lot, training a lot. But and, that's a lot uh, of your videos and stuff too. It is. I mean, you're it's doing, part of the job. Yeah. yeah. But originally, 2018, 2017, a lot of it was just me figuring stuff out. I had to learn. I had to mm. teach myself shooting. Um, now I do contract training for people in the military and law enforcement, which is pretty cool. You know, that someone who can become a, a self-taught shooter can develop essentially curriculum and then can get clients from, you know, high level units who can come in, get some of that, it's learn really how to shoot cool. better. It's yeah. Cause cool. I mean, you'd expect it to be the other way around that exactly. they'd be teaching those courses, exactly. but they're coming to you. But the interesting thing that people don't realize about SOCOM is shooting for them is uh, special operations command, uh, shooting for them is 1%. 99% of the job is all their other duties. Hmm. So they generally 
uh, outsource their shooter shooting instructors, and they're usually civilians, competition shooters, stuff like that. Mm. So I get to do some of that on the side, which is like my fourth hat, I guess. Um, but in the process, I'm shooting a lot, on the range a lot. So the armor has to manage that. And I'll be like, hey, I've got these guns. I need them zeroed. I need these optics put on them, blah, blah, blah. He'll go and you know build them out. So I've been onboarding him, and that's a lot of education on the arsenal that we have. Here's what we've got. Here's what you need to know. Here's what kind of night vision we have. Here's all the helmets. Here's what I need done. Here's what I'm looking for. You're here to free our department up. You're here to work with the video guys, building them gear to take photos of. So I don't have to do it. So he's sort of assisting me in, he's not my assistant, but he's assisting me yeah. in roles. But his onboarding is very different than someone making holsters gotcha. or somebody in shipping because mm-hmm. uh, he's in a support role within marketing, not in the actual like flow of production and shipping. So where do you fit? I mean, you've, you're wearing all those hats. And then you've got all these, you know, managers, yep. leaders, department heads. Mm-hmm. What is your time allocation spent with them, mentoring them as leaders mm-hmm. versus doing all the tactical stuff? Yeah. Well, so a lot of my time is meetings now. I'm uh-huh. not able to do stuff as much. Um, I generally work from – I wake up whenever, depending on what time I go to bed. I go straight to work at home. I have a home office because I don't even have an office at work. don't have my own like room. Not yet. Uh, CFO gets one. I don't have one. So I work from home, which is nice. Got my big, powerful, fancy computer and all the monitors and stuff. Work from home, go in. And then it's literally as soon as I walk in the door, people come to me Yeah. or I go to them. And so I may have a plan for go to the armory, check on these things, check in with the media guys, check on this video we're editing. But as soon as I walk in, it's, hey, I got this procurement thing. You want to sign off on this company? Yeah, shipping thing, uh, R&D thing, new holster, something, blah, blah, blah. Look at this. Um, so a lot of it's just kind of spur of the moment. It's not in Outlook. It's not in our calendar system. Um, but we do have days like month, yesterday. It was meetings from 1030 all the way to 6. I had just in Outlook. I'm just in the conference room, new meeting. Uh, in top of the hour, new people come in. Some people stay. We talk, keep talking about whatever. Um, Death by Meeting is obviously a book that we're reading we talk about a lot. That's yeah, a good one. We had yeah. to fix our meeting stuff. We had a lot of just mindless talking and rabbit trails. Um, so we had to fix some of our systems, have bullet points, action points right at the end, keep them short, as short as can be, have creative meetings separate, uh, separate our strategic meetings from our tactical yeah. meetings. Yeah. So our strategic meetings are on Monday, me with my uh, business partners, and then uh, our tactical meetings are at other times, fixing issues, transition meetings, stuff like that. It's a lot of meetings now. It's a lot of at least half of my time is now devoted to checking on departments, giving them what they need, whether it's vision or it's just just knowledge. Like, oh yeah, this company. It's really over the here. evolution as you scale. Yeah, I and mean, it becomes your job description because it's communication. Yep, it's not because it's meetings. Yeah, but it's, it's you know com- communication People and skills. connecting stuff. is the thing that mm-hmm. CEOs really have to do as as they build the thing as it they is. grow. And that's kind of, and and so the, the sticky spot I'm in right now is. Not only am I the guy who's kind of running between departments and communicating, here's what's going on, here's where we're at, here's what's up. And our CFO does a lot of that too, which is awesome. I'm also kind of the figurehead of the company as far as like the the marketing You're kind of a personality. Uh, Personality, yeah. yeah. And so the issue with that is I have to keep doing that. I have to keep broadcasting on Twitch, Instagram, YouTube. Um, And then I also have to keep producing – the, just the the unlive non broadcast media Instagram photos videos educational content some of that took a backseat last year I mean it had to so I'm in a weird spot where it's I'm trying to be a full time CEO but I also kind of have to be a full time personality and I've got to document what I'm doing what I'm thinking what I'm talking about and uh, that's very tricky right now figuring out the best way to do both so that's tough an assistant will help though it'll help. 
What's your biggest challenge right now? Is is that it? Yeah, balancing that. Yep, that's ah, that's probably that's probably it. I mean, you could argue the uh, you know growth in the company. And uh, well, another one is well, this is what's funny. Moved into a twenty thousand square foot building. We were originally in like a five. I thought, great, we have a building. We'll be here five years. We outgrew it in six months. Mm. So we quickly found another building next door. Providence from God. It was awesome. It was great. Another 10,000 square feet. We purchased that. We've already outgrown that. So we actually have – we have growth issues, which is we got to find new buildings, build new buildings, streamline, maybe eliminate products, certain products or something, free up space uh, or go to drop shipping, which I don't like very much because then we're relying on someone else and – customer trust and whatnot. Yeah, you had another component. And I don't really like it very much. Um, it can be effective. I just don't like it very much. Um, but then there's also the, the personal stuff I have, I have, which is the CEO stuff, the marketing stuff, how to delegate, what can I delegate? Because I'm very picky about who represents the brand. Because I've seen companies take, uh, we don't do the brand ambassador approach. I have a lot of, a lot of thoughts and feelings on the whole like brand ambassador approach and just marketing in general. Like what? You basically grab random people that have following and you go, hey, uh, I'll give you money. You're going to represent our company. Turns out that person's a scumbag or they aren't very good with people or they're not actually competent at anything they do except for posing with guns. So companies grab these people and use them rather than creating their own marketing engines. And it results in their PR, their brand not being trustworthy because it's, well, you're hiring this person over here who doesn't know anything about guns and you're paying them money. If you're willing to get this nobody who doesn't know anything about guns to represent your company, what does that say about your products? Hmm. I mean, that's how I look at it as a consumer. Like I want to go to companies that are getting legitimate people to represent their company or are represented by legitimate people inside the company. You know, I'd love to see more companies where the CEO is doing more stuff. There's not a lot of that in the gun industry. Usually they're the behind the scenes at a desk, which is fine. But I personally, you know, when I started doing this, I wanted to be a different CEO. I wanted to be the CEO that would still go out and shoot, still go out and test gear, would travel around and work with people like different units and actually find out what they're doing. Can also go back and be a CEO, which I'm learning is is difficult juggling all of this. Um, but that's really – I wanted to be the guy that I was kind of looking for seven years ago, eight years ago. When I was looking at the gun industry, trying to find role models that I could look up to who are testing gear. They're not being biased to certain companies. They're not taking all these weird sponsorships and doing coupon codes and just all that crap that didn't ever appeal to me. I wanted some legitimate people – who were, you know, in it for me and my interests as a as one of the people, as the community. So that's kind of what I've been trying to do is be that guy that I was looking for eight years ago. And, you know, be on the front lines, trying to figure out what people really need, uh, really understand what the community I mean what the community needs, but kind of where they're at and uh provide solutions. Whether it's educational videos, products, products we're designing, companies you might need to work with, maybe companies you might need to help who have some inventory issues. I mean come alongside and be like, hey, Here's some things you might be able to do. Mm. We'll help, you know, you'll help with the credibility of your brand by selling your product because you've got some weird stuff going on over here. Maybe we can come in and help a little bit. Uh, we've been able to do that with some companies, which is great. But uh, it's a struggle going from kind of a frontline guy trying to, you know, do a bunch of jobs over here to also being a CEO in the conference room, having meetings, having discussions. It's it's tough. The struggle makes sure. – I, I get that it's tough, um, but it seems like there's a, a, a real value in that. There is. Uh, what do you think being that type of a CEO does for you? Perspective. I have – because the job of the CEO is you're looking at the future and you're trying to f- predict what's going to happen and you're trying to direct the rudder of the ship. And I've seen this happen with big companies in the industry, publicly traded companies. The board decides we need a professional CEO. You, get in here. Jump down. Turns out he's anti-gun. 
does not help the gun company very much to have an anti-gun CEO <laughs> who's a professional CEO, which and I will say I'm not a professional CEO by any any means. There's been discussion of, hey, at what point would it be effective for the company to step aside, let a professional run it? You keep doing vision stuff. How does that work? That's and, such a big deal. And I mean, big. we're not – this isn't a conversation about – pro-gun anti-gun i mean that, sure sure but if, if you're not behind the thing that exactly if there's not a personal passion for what you're selling how are you ever going to connect how, how can you just steer the rudder of the ship when your passion is not aligned with where the company is so the benefit of what i'm trying to do doing both is that i have a better perspective on what's going on and i have equal interest because i'm a consumer too i'm into this stuff just like everyone else so I think the, the, the value that comes from doing both is I can predict a little more effectively, hey, here's what's happening. I have a pretty good thumb on what's going on in the community. We can produce these products safely. We can scale these divisions in the company safely. We can move the company in this direction safely versus me having to go ask other people, yo, what's up? What's up? What's going on? What's up? Okay, now I got to figure out what's going on. Having my own idea of what's going on with experience mm -hmm. is very effective, but it comes at a cost because that's time investment figuring that out, which maybe takes away time from being the CEO. So it's, there's return on investment, time, trade-offs, pros and cons. It's worked out pretty well so far. I think it makes a lot of sense. I, you know, I've, I've seen where Dave as our CEO mm -hmm. has had that baked into, yeah. he hosts a radio show three hours every day. So he's on the front lines talking to customers you know, he's got thousands and thousands of hours yep. of engaging with the marketplace. So again, you said perspective. Yep. He doesn't have to ask, you know, his team to ask their team to ask somebody out on the yep. front lines, what's going on with our customers. Like he's in the marketplace every day. And I, I think that's a really key thing. It's kind of like there's this, this spectrum where two extremes are not good as a CEO. I mean, one right. is you stay in the marketplace as the maker and you Correct. just become the, what Michael Gerber talks about, the e-myth where you're, you really yep. just, own the job and you never can scale because you're not leading a team. You're just continuing to exactly. churn out the widgets mm -hmm. yourself. The other extreme is you go, hey, at all costs, we have to scale. So I build a team and then we start to scale. And then I find myself never interacting with the marketplace. I'm only working, you know, behind the scenes all the time. Yeah. And I get, I become out of touch Yep. and I lose that. You said perspective. I think it's a great word. Yep. And that's, and I've seen that happen a lot. And, and I, and I talked to my guys about it too. Like, how can we, you know, because I've got three other partners. Uh, I'm the I'm the majority. Doesn't really matter. I'm CEO, and but the, the four of us, it's our company. We work together, and they all have different perspectives on what's going on, and they have their own passions of what they're studying and what they're researching. And uh, so a lot of these, we have a lot of these conversations, and we do studies on hey, what's actually going on, and uh, we I've got other guys in the company who you know keep up with it. Uh, most people in our company aren't kind of aren't necessarily gun people on the same channels looking for the same kind of content. Uh, but we have a bunch who are, so I'm able to be like, hey, you, what do you think about this? You, How do you feel about that? Okay, and then I can get some feedback. Uh, the other thing that I've done, and I, I'm really trying to continue doing this, and I recommend this for, to business owners if they have an ability to do so, um, regardless of how my time flexes or, or lack thereof, uh, something I try to do uh, with our with my personal Instagram, I have a personal page. I mean, it's linked to this company related. It's still business. Um, I do Instagram lives on there uh, three times a week, something like that, and I get to engage directly with our audience. I get to see the questions, and you engage a lot and learn a lot about your people and your demographic with what kinds of questions they're asking. Are they asking? smart questions? Are they asking dumb questions? Are they asking questions trying to figure out what the next thing is? Or are they getting more interested in philosophical discussions on law or whatever? 
Uh, so I do those because I like answering questions for people and helping them out, but also so I have a better understanding of kind of where people are at or where my community might be growing. And then the other thing I do, and unfortunately I don't respond to all of them, I read pretty much every direct message I get sent on Instagram, which is over 200 a day. So I try to scroll that when I get in bed or when I wake up or whenever and just kind of see what people are asking, mm-hmm. what they're talking about, or maybe what they're thanking us for, what their testimonies are, just so I have more of a grasp on the community and what's going on. And I don't see a lot of CEOs trying to do that or trying to be on the front lines with the people. Um, you know, they may have a page run by someone else, like by their marketing team, and you can always tell that it's fake. It's not actually them. Um, but I appreciate guys who are out there, you know, on Twitter or on Instagram or wherever who are actually reading messages, actually trying to figure out what's going on because it shows with the products they produce or with the content that they produce. Um, they don't miss the mark as much. We miss the mark on things still. We'll, you know, I'll have my own interests, which are separate from the communities potentially, and I'll produce a video on it and, you know, it's not as popular. Um, but it, it happens less when you have a better grasp on what's going on. So my advice to business owners is when you're small, it's easy yeah. to like keep up with people. When you get bigger, it's harder, but still make it's an effort harder, to try to do it. There's so many vehicles now that make it easier. Yeah. I was, uh, I saw something Jesse Isler posted the other day and he's got a bazillion followers mm-hmm. and I at mentioned a friend about what was going on in that post. Yeah. And I know he personally runs his page. And later that day, he just dropped a little fist bump on my comment. And yeah. he was just going through harding, fist bumping, liking, like but in, seeing him. in 10 minutes, he's seeing him and he's engaged. And what that does for people is like, oh, he's a real person. Like yeah. he's actually connecting on the stuff versus mm-hmm. he has a marketing department that's just running all of this. And, you know, I don't know how you scale that to millions. Like there's some, some point, you <laughs> at have some to point it doesn't team, work. But the, the more that you can do that, you know, yeah. Dave sends his own tweets. Now do do some people on our team help augment that or supplement it? Sure. But like, yeah. it's not like he's out of touch with what's going on on his handles. Yeah. You know, all of our personalities are yep. very much personally involved. And because if you look at it as just a marketing mechanism, then your customers are going to feel like it's marketing. Right. But if you look at it as this is a conversation I as a person have with these other humans, yeah. they feel that. Yeah. It builds trust. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is I try to remind people. I'm a normal person just like all of you. I put on my shoes the same way. I put on my pants the same way. I have an iPhone just like everyone else. Now I have two and it kind of sucks. But <laughs> I, have, I have an iPhone like everyone else. I'm a normal person. If you had person. an assistant, you give one to your assistant you're and then you're wrong. back to one. I would totally do that. Although I have one device for all social media because of the new terms and service with Instagram and I have one for work stuff. So they're separate mm. for work reasons. But uh, but you're right. Well, what is that? They can watch other uh, stuff going on, on your phone? Granted, many companies already have these. Basically, their new terms of service were like, eh, we get more of your data. We get to have more stuff. It's our stuff. It's big tech stuff I don't really like. So I keep them separate gotcha. from my work yeah, things. Yeah. But again, it's, you know, other people been already doing it. And is it a big deal? Probably not. But uh, I don't like having two phones. So, um, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's just been real interesting. Just uh, mm. learning all that. So when you kind of think about where you're headed over the next five to 10 years, I mean, you talked about where you're taking your tribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, your team's going to continue to to grow and scale. What what challenges do you see just from a leadership standpoint as as this stuff's coming down the pipe? Uh, continuing to uh, give the vision to people as they come in effectively. Um, I'm at a bit of point now, and it's it's rough. Where I don't know everyone in the company. I've been able to sit down with everyone and talk to them. Mm, yeah, I that's hard. I don't know everyone. I remember when that first started happening; um, it, it was tough. Uh, but at some point, it's just. It's not going to work because I've got to be able to go do other responsibilities over here so that people can keep, you know, having their jobs. So I can't necessarily take a bunch of time to 
eat lunch with everyone every week because I've got to spend that time working on job security and marketing or whatever. Um, so that's been that's been hard. Do you do anything? You know, I've I've seen Dave. Like I remember that day when I started here, there were sixty people. We knew everybody. Yeah, it was like a small family. Now there's I don't even know a thousand ish. Yeah, and. Dave, he's talked about this. I don't know everybody's name. It drives me crazy. But he still once a month, and HR sets this up where there's breakfast, new team members. Mm-hmm. Like he comes in, tells a story, yep. shakes their hand, that kind of thing. I, I think it's key to still try to what, – what types of things like that mm-hmm. are you doing to try to make that connection? Uh, one thing we started doing – this is fun. Uh, granted, we have different demographics within the company because we're a manufacturing company. So we got – you know, uh, a bunch of women who sew with a bunch of young guys who run CNC machines. We got gun guys. I got gun guys in marketing. I've got, uh, other, you know, different kinds of people in customer service. So, and I've talked to, I have another buddy who, um, he actually runs a Chick-fil-A franchise. And so he kind of deals with the same thing. How do I do something with my 120 employees? Mm. Um, now his demographics are a little more similar. They're all young before college. So it's easier to find activities they can all jump in and do. So I'm still trying to figure out what are things we can do as a company, but something that, I started doing – one of my guys started is uh, we have a LAN party, which some of you all listening will know what this is, a local area network where we all play Call of Duty together. So I come in. You use one of the edit computers. We get 15 guys in there. These are all young guys. They hook up their Xboxes and their Playstations, and we play Call of Duty till 1 a.m. And we we order pizza. It's I like order, a big frat party. Yeah, I order pizza for everyone. It's super fun. We do it like once every couple months. Um, but yeah, that's been that's been something I've been trying to figure out. And I make the rounds and try to talk to yeah, people. It's good. But you know, what are activities we can do? You know, renting out a whole bowling alley. Like, is that something we can go and do? Rent out this whole restaurant. You know, do X Y Z and um, and actually have more connection with people beyond just the workplace. Yeah, it's really. No, I'm always working. So. That's I'm still learning that uh, part. Uh, suggestions appreciated, of course. But no, uh, I mean, I think any of that stuff where you can shake it up and and just create. Exp- I mean, food is always great because when yeah. you break bed together, you know, there's this commun- communal thing. Everybody can eat. Everybody loves food. Getting out of the office, whether it's bowling yeah. or whatever. Um, some people stay away from that because they think it's cheesy. But the truth is, and uh, you know, there's a book about this, The Eighth yeah. Habit, and Stephen Covey wrote, and that is the that trust dictates the mm-hmm. speed that an organization grows. And when True. there's not yeah. trust, it starts to stifle your growth. And the way you build trust is time together, mm-hmm. experiences. True. Shared yeah. experiences around food, shared experiences around, you know, Call of Duty stuff, whatever it is. And that, you know, that's culture dependent, like based on yeah. what your company is. You may not be a Call of Duty company, but you may have exactly. a thing that, you know, is unique to what you guys do mm-hmm. or the local geography. You guys have access to things. Maybe you live on the coast and you can go surfing together. Yeah. You know, maybe you don't do that in Tennessee. That'd be awesome if we could figure out how to do that in Tennessee. You know, so you got to just be, cre- it takes creativity. Yeah. You got to think like what's yeah. around here that we can do, get the team out of the office. One of my favorite leaders that I ever worked for, mm-hmm. uh, uh, we would have our meetings and oftentimes he would say, hey, let's just jump in the truck and go for a drive. Yeah. And just that little different, like we're not just sitting in an office. Yeah, we're doing something different. Same yeah. rut that we're in all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just, a, it's shaking it up and it's keeping it creative, but it builds a little trust. Yep. It builds a little connection. Yep. Something that I started doing more last year was uh, uh, company training classes where I'm like, hey, we're doing pistol class. Come on out. I'll teach. Yeah. And so we grabbed 12 people uh, who've just got guns for the first time or they just whatever. And we go to the range, which is workplace for me. Um, but we go out there and we shoot together. And if it's raining, which it rained on us for one of the classes, we shoot in the rain and it's fine. <laughs> it was a little cold. But uh, but yeah, I think that's a really big deal. So one plan that I have right now, um, and I actually think we just closed on the land uh, today, is uh, hoping to build a house here soon, uh, debt free. Awesome. And uh, I mean, the land's debt free. But uh, my plan is to build a house 
that or an, an estate, I guess, that will enable us to have everyone from the company over every month for barbecue or dinner or whatever, you know, uh, we make. And uh, we'll be able to have 150, 200 people scale it and do that at the property. Um, that's something I really want to do. I heard another business owner does that. Um, at a, I think it was a big IT company. 1,000 people invites them all and ends up being like 600 people. So I was like, oh, I'm going to need a, a pretty large outdoor area, a yeah, barn or something. Barn. Like uh-huh. going to need some things. But uh, when I heard that, I was like, that's what I want to uh, do. That's cool. Have people over to my house. It's also very personal. I mean, it's my house. Yeah. And uh, be able to hang out with them play volleyball whatever so that's where i'm 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 going in that direction for something like that but i'm also still looking for other opportunities or activities or just things we have a couple guys in the company that uh do some like special snacks on certain days and just little things that are fun and different and uh, they've talked to us about that hey these little things they seem cheesy you know where you raffle someone's name in a hat to go have lunch at the ceo whatever but those are the things that matter so we've we've brought some guys in uh from other businesses who've brought experience because I this is my first time being a CEO. This is my first time really working a like a I guess a normal job. I did like some contract stuff with my family before. So it's my first job and uh first time being a CEO. So there's a lot of learning. So whenever we can bring a guy in yeah. who's worked at other different kinds of companies for twenty years, you know, we usually sit down right away and I'm like, all right, give me all of your knowledge. Well it's really key. Put it into my and brain. I, I relate to the you know, oftentimes the CEO mindset, we're just thinking about building stuff, yeah. growing, bottom line. We get you know, we don't tend to be um partiers or like they, yeah. I mean, we're just like you mentioned work, working all work. the time we love it it's our it's what it's just we're passionate about <laughs> yeah, it you know it's fun and i think it's key to have somebody who's the champion of fun yeah maybe isn't you can maybe can't afford for that to be someone's full-time job yeah, at, at but, a certain stage but one of the responsibilities but someone who thinks mm-hmm. that way hey we need to have these connections yep. and i want to put time and energy and money into it but i need your help with the creativity and the thinking so hey let's have a meeting once a month where you're bringing yep. ideas i'm going to count on you to to draft some stuff that I can help edit and I'll be on board and I'll be at the party and I'll be out there flipping burgers when we have the barbecue. Yeah. But I need people to come around me to help administer mm-hmm. and help create some of those elements. Cause it's just not kind of, my, it's not my natural thing. Yeah. You know, and some people are better at that. Yeah. Uh, don't, if you're a leader, use that as a cop out to say, well, we just don't do that here. Like yeah. you've got to have that stuff going yep. on, but other people can help you do it. Yeah. Yeah, so we actually already have that guy kind That's of. Now that you bring it up, That's he, good. he's he's the guy that came in and was like, "Here's what you can do. Here's some things that mm-hmm. we did at our company, and just some things to think about." And I was like, "Nice, thank you. Take knowledge from your brain, put it into my brain. Now let's execute and figure some stuff out." Uh, what do you want to tell business owners about the future of business in this country and what we need to be thinking about to come together and continue to to lead and serve our teams? Well, a big one, and I'm sure uh, the folks here at Ramsey talk about it, but uh, we saw it last year how basically fragile the, our society is with things being shut down, mandates, uh, not being allowed to operate as a business. So there's a couple things. One, being debt-free is obviously very effective, gives you a lot of leeway, gives you a lot of flexibility, uh, not having to rely on payments and whatnot, and we're a debt-free company, so we didn't have to worry about any of that. Uh, what I tell young people when they're asking, hey, what kind of business should I start? I tell them manufacturing makes stuff. People always want stuff. <laughs> now, it's true. you have to be careful what stuff you make because if you make a luxury item and there's a recession, well, people may not buy your luxury item. If it's cheap entertainment, they may. People bought cheap entertainment during the Great Depression in the 20s. Um, but I very much like manufacturing. It's shown people are – 
right now more interested in American manufacturing, especially after what happened last year. A lot of stuff coming into the country got halted. Countries got shut down. Uh, manufacturing here in the United States is very patriotic, obviously. You're creating jobs for people here in America, and we were able to employ people who lost their jobs because of COVID, and that was super cool. They were able to provide jobs for people. And I think some people, they look down on manufacturing. They're like, ah, manufacturing is a little widget. I want to go do uh, – I'm going to be a stockbroker. I want to go do something cool. I'm going to go work for like a video game company. And it's like, yeah, that stuff's cool, but – Manufacturing is really what built this country. Manufacturing and agriculture is what built this country. Inventing things, making stuff. And if I, if I could have started any other company, you know, seven years ago, if someone had said, Hey, Lucas, here's a million dollars, uh, you know, or, Oh, you're a trust fund baby. Go start a company. Um, I would not have changed it any other way. Really? I would have started a manufacturing company. Um, and I've been looking at other manufacturing that we can do or other manufacturing companies to start. You know, we don't do any, real metal work. Maybe it's about time we start a company that can do metal work. The startup cost is in the millions to get the right machines and stuff mm -hmm. and supply lines. But uh, I've been telling young guys, look into manufacturing. You know, if you're wanting to start a company, you know, sewing, nylon, um, there's all kinds of things you can do for not a lot of money. I mean, I started with $1,000. I was very fortunate uh, with the industry I got into that I didn't need crazy expensive machines. Well, there's a lot of stuff now with three-dimensional printing. And I mean, you can exactly, prototype yeah. things like in ways that you never, I mean, you used to, it would take yeah. thousands of dollars to get a prototype. Yeah. I've seen companies literally, there's a company I'm watching right now that I can tell all their designs are 3D prints that they are then either going to manufacture with normal plastics, but all their R&D is all 3D prints mm -hmm. based on the pictures I've seen and just what the parts are. So there's a lot of, I think there's going to be a lot of demand for American manufacturing in future with the uh, volatility and just the, the fragility of our system relying on other countries. Um, so I don't think, I think the biggest thing is young people should not look down on that. As like, that's a lesser industry. That's a lesser job. I want to go do, uh, you know, whatever it is cool kids do these days. I don't know what they do, but manufacturing. I think manufacturing is great. And then kind of like I talked about earlier, uh, look for something that you can do better than everyone or look for something nobody else does. Yeah. And if you can hit one of those or both, um, you should be good to go. And then, yeah, staying out of debts definitely gives you a lot Big of flexibility. Deal. Lucas, I wish at 28 I had your smarts and your wisdom. And uh, I love talking to young entrepreneurs who are successful because it just it gives me a lot of hope mm -hmm. for our country's future. There's a lot of people out there like you. Mm -hmm. And you're not in the headlines and people don't know who you are. But guys, yeah. this country is solid. There's yeah. people like Lucas in this next generation that, you know, millennials are not all idiots and doofuses mm -hmm. and lazy sitting around like, hey, it's time. Yeah. It's time for this next generation to step up and start leading the way that you're leading. So I love what you're doing, and um, I love how you're modeling for your mm -hmm. your peers and people in their 20s and 30s as as leaders that are emerging. Um, mm -hmm. There's there's so much inspiration in that. And those of us that have been leading for a while, I, I think it's fun to kind of go, all right, this, this is the mm -hmm. next wave of leadership. And I'm excited about what I see, and I'm excited yeah. about what you've shared today. I appreciate you making awesome. some time to come in the Entree Leadership Studio. It's been great, man. Yeah, it's been well, a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Lucas so Bakins, you're the man, and uh, you'll always be welcome back in the Entree Studio. Thanks for your time today. And as always, we're here to inspire leaders, help business owners grow, and be better leaders uh, so they can help their teams and help their customers get to the next level. So that's why we're here, and uh, we appreciate you being a part of it. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. Well, guys, I love, love, love having conversations with young entrepreneurs. You know, young bucks are are passionate, they're excited, they're just contagious with their energy. And if you've been leading for a while, if you've been in the trenches and you've got a few battle scars 
Well, hopefully you've got a little bit more wisdom, but if you're like me, you can also get a little tired. You can also kind of lose your swagger a little bit. It's really good to be around younger entrepreneurs who have that, that passion, that first love. It's contagious. And I got that today. And I hope you did too. You guys know the Entree Leadership Team is always here to help you win. If you're a small business owner, we want to empower your growth and we want to give you tools and resources to help you do just that. That's why our team has put together this really cool assessment for you guys. It's a leadership growth assessment that you and your leaders can take to check in and just get a gauge on your leadership, figure out what's going well, what's not going well, and then help drive some conversations with your leadership team on how you can improve. If you guys want to get this free tool, it's super easy. All you have to do is text the keyword leader growth to 33444. Again, that's leader growth, all one word, no spaces, to 33444, or you can just click on the link in the show notes. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Entre Leadership Podcast. If you did, well, share it with your friends and be sure to subscribe. That's the best way to make sure that you don't miss the next episode. Thanks for helping us, you know, get the word out and share this with people. That's the way this thing grows. Now, if you're a small business owner between about two and 200 employees, we'd love to have a live conversation with you and find out how the podcast is helping you improve your leadership. We'd love to hear also what we can do to improve the show that's going to help you win and build your leaders and grow your business. So if you'd like to help us out with that, you can schedule a call with our production team by just going in the show notes, click a link, and our producer, Tim, he'll be in touch and get you all squared away. Thanks for helping us out with that. You can follow us on social media at Entree Leadership. You can follow me on Instagram at Daniel Tardy. This episode was produced by Tim Hall. It was edited and mixed by Will Rudder. I'm your host, Daniel Tardy. And on behalf of the entire Entree Leadership team, thank you for listening. Until next time, keep learning and keep leading. If you enjoy this podcast, you should check out other great podcasts from the Ramsey Network, like Ramsey Call of the Day. Check out our new Ramsey Call of the Day podcast. It'll give you a quick hit of advice about life and money in under 10 minutes. Listen to the Ramsey Call of the Day wherever you listen to podcasts.